You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Greetings and hello wherever you may be listening inside the channel country or outside of it. You're listening to the Batuta Advocate radio show here on Desert Rock FM. As always, we're coming at you live from the Koala Mattress Studios in downtown Batuta. My name is Errol Parker. Hello, hello. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Clancy Overall. And joining Errol and myself in the studio today will be a man with an incredible brain, a beautiful mind. Yeah, he's a veritable fountain of knowledge there, Clancy. A household name around the country has been spreading science for decades. Dr. Carl is his name. Yes, you might know him from his weekly appearances on Triple J to field scientific questions from all sides or his regular TV appearances or from one of his many, I think he's released 40 books over the years. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a well-learned, well-read, well-written man. He's a wealth of information and he's... um, yeah, he's he's going to go a bit uh, off the cuff today and talk a little bit out of school, which is uh, probably what you won't get from him uh, in his other channels. He's um, he's a bit of a character, and he's about to walk into the booth here at Koala Mattress Studios. But before we let him through the glass door, uh, for those of you who are on the hunt for a new mattress, Koala do have a special promo code this week, which is in all capitals. Dr. Carl's Koala. So that is D-R-K-A-R-L-S-K-O-A-L-A. Dr. Carl's Koala. That code will get you $200 redos off your next mattress or sofa. You must remember that Koala do do sofas now. But enough about our corporate sponsors and let's get to the show. Well, thank, thank you for joining us. We are um, glad that you know of us. And, oh, um, do I know you? Ever, ever since you did your fabulous work with um, uh, Malcolm Roberts, Mr. 76, who got into Parliament on 76 votes plus his own 77, um, I've followed you deeply. Uh, thank oh, you. Thank you. Well, he didn't last very long. That seems to be the way it goes. But he now, got replaced by somebody who got in there on 19 votes. And then left the party immediately after. But he's still in the Senate. So I actually <laughs> ran is. for the Senate. Did you? In, you didn't vote for me, did you? No, no. How are no. you expecting me to have loyalty to you, Dr. Clancy and Dr. Errol, if you didn't vote for me? I follow you. Well, I read the Batuta. Well, we're advocate. in the Maranora electorate. And, um, yeah. Oh, this is unless, for the Senate, yeah. man. No, <laughs> unless, unless you were running on the Queensland ticket. In New South Wales. No, we couldn't sure. vote for you. Yeah. Oh, okay. We were given yeah, all the crazies. We were given Lazarus. We were given, you know, we were given all these, uh, these maniacs that... Uh, Anning is a new one. Well, uh, 19 votes. Mm. Well, the thing is that in some – I ran for politics Mm. on the simple ground of following the motto of Mao Zedong and then taking it one step further. And Mao Zedong said that political power grows out of the barrel of a gun, which it does in many parts of the world. But in Australia – and most of the English-speaking Western-type countries, it grows out of the parliament. Mm. And that's where you've got the power, to pass a law. And I had influence, and I wanted to have power. And unfortunately, out of the 782,000 votes I needed to get into the federal Senate in New South Wales in 2007, I got 44,000, which apparently is a record, but not quite enough to get me in. And so I got a great education, and I now see that that's the way you should go if you want to change things. Either yell at the TV... Or, which is going to be very frustrating, or get into politics or support somebody who will get into politics and do what you want. Yeah, yeah. Did you run yourself or under I was in the Climate Change Coalition. Yep. Um, and and 44,000 votes under the line. For those who are not familiar, uh, when you vote in the Senate on a federal level, you get a huge sheet of paper, literally 
a metre or two yeah. wide. And either you can go above the line, there's a big line going across, and you go above the line and there's a box and you put in number one and you walk away from it. Mm. So you're saying whatever party XYZ does, I'll go with them. Or you have weighed up all 100 or 200 uh, people going for it, and you said, yeah, that person is number one, that's number two, and you have to number every single box and not copy the numbers and not miss out one because either way, that's an invalid vote and you have to do it again. And 42,000, yep. 44,000 people did that to vote for me. Thank you very much, people who that's voted nice. for me. That's nice. Jeez, that's a lot of people. <laughs> and yeah. this was pretty much pre-social media. You could have another crack at that nowadays. That was in 2007. Yeah. We had some social media, mm. but really uh, you need $5 million yeah. Uh, yeah. to pay for the advertising on TV. Really? So you need to align yourself with a populist kind of knee-jerk type uh, fringe party with a bit of money coming from you know, well, unknown sources. not necessarily. What you want is the money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no hard feelings. Just be like the mafia. Just give me the money. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to vote for you. I don't want to be aligned with you. Just give me the money. It seems to work in New South Wales. And I, I feel ashamed. I feel sorry for you guys in Queensland because while, while Queensland might come close every now and then, um, what electorate are you in? in Maranoa. Maranoa. So while Queensland might come close, still consistently, New South Wales is, in Australia, out of all the states, the most consistently corrupt and incompetent government. Like, you might come close, but, you know, like there have been times you've done well, but really we win the cake. Yeah, definitely. And that's and that's probably why the fringe uh, and minor parties thrive in Tasmania and South Australia and Queensland, because... Um, all the headquarters are based in Victoria, New South Wales, and, and as you said, quite often corrupt as well. Well, um, I, I, I'll weep. Okay, go on. Let's, let's just change the sub- subject to something more well, elevating. We'll, 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 we'll introduce you. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. That's right. Now, if you yeah, don't I mind, um, <clears throat> I think I've got your full name sorted. Yeah, can you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go for it. Well, here we are today sitting with um, an amazing mind, Dr. Carl Sven Wojtek Sands Konkokovich Matthew Krushel Nitsky. Pretty good, uh, although the proper pronunciation here in Australia is wheelbarrow for my last name. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're a uh, known author and science commentator on Australian radio and television. Yeah, 40 something uh, books, yep. 40 something yep. books. Where did you, where do you think it was? Uh, at what point in your career do you think it was when you became a household name? Well, I think the bottom line is that you need only a few decades to become an overnight success. Yeah, right. So I was lucky enough to get some very good advice in the early days, which was stick to the facts, ignore opinions. Mm -hmm. And the facts are quite amazing. Mm -hmm. So I just kept on doing that for generating four stories every week. And then you do that for a couple of months and you do that for a couple of years and you do that for a couple of decades. And gradually over that time, you build up this body of knowledge in your brain. And you've got to turn it into stories because if you don't turn it into stories, you've just got all this mishmash running around like Mount Everest is, is it 28,000 feet or 82,000 feet? Whereas if you turn it into a story, you're forced to go through that intellectual rigour. Yeah. And then there's a, another thing that happens with the story. You see, we humans have been wired up by evolution um, to love stories as a way of bonding the group together. Our claws, fingernails, are useless. <laughs> Our teeth, well, they, they couldn't rip your neck out. Mm-hmm. Our skin wouldn't survive rubbing up against a barbed wire fence like a cow can. Mm-hmm. And we can't run. We, we've got nothing going for us except our brain. And then the brain needs to be able to bring a bunch of weak 
fleshy humans into a group and the story is the medium. So if I were on one hand, example A, if I give you a thousand words in alphabetical order and say, give them back to me, Dr. Clancy, Dr. Errol, you got nothing. You know, you run out after about yeah. 30 words. But if those words happen to be part of a story, where Kim Kardashian goes along with Kanye, or Y.E., as his new name is, and then they have a nude mud bath with um, Kavanaugh, and then along comes Donald Trump, and then (laughs) Aung San Chu from Burma. Suddenly, you can tell me that whole story. And then via that story, which you sort of memorise as a single blob of knowledge, the thousand words come out. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've been very lucky that we've been thanks to evolution, wired up that way. And so I can answer questions thanks to having generated um, thousands of stories over the years, which are the answers to various questions that people ask. Now that you, was a long answer, wasn't you it? You know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a succinct and, one as well. And didn't even give you the right answer. Which no, well, like, you, you uh, somewhere, date, somewhere I, in those 20 years of 30, telling stories, 30 years of 35, telling stories, you became yeah. a household name. Yeah, somewhere in the last third of a century, yeah. Yeah. Triple J, do you reckon? Double J. Double J. I mean, I was even there when it was just a single J before they invented radio where there was just some... <laughs> person with a loud voice shouting in the backyard. Yeah, right. Okay, that was a lie. But I was there <laughs> on Double J. Okay. And and you've been wor- and you've been working alongside them. Yeah, then. I've been there yeah, pretty well all of the time except when I've taken off on test driving vehicles around Australia and spending time in the outback. I've been pretty well there all the time since 1980 something. Yeah, right. Can you tell us a little about growing up a young kid, migrant family? Mm-hmm. On in Wollongong. In Wollongong. Well, basically, I was the oppressed group, the WOGs. Mm-hmm. There's always a, oppressed groups in societies, unfortunately, unless you get fairly enlightened. And we were the latest immigrants. And there seems to be a weird phenomenon where one bunch of immigrants try to pull up the gangplank behind them. Mm-hmm. and Pull the ladder up. Yeah. And so in Marrickville, I saw a sign which said, Muslims out. Mm. It was written in Vietnamese. <laughs> so the Vietnamese were the last refugees. And and so once the Muslims get accepted, there'll be Catholics out or Protestants out or whatever yeah. country out, you know, Americans out. How long ago was that? Um, so I was there in the uh, 60s and 50s. Yeah. And so I was this little kid from Europe and therefore potential communist mm-hmm. and right. um, openly called a wog and discriminated against by the lovely little religious Catholic kids at the primary school. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the outer group. But there were a lot of European kids in Wollongong, right? There were a lot of Italians and Maltese? Or- yeah, uh, especially because of the proximity to the steelworks. Yeah. And so that was a place where relatively unskilled labour and skilled labour could find a place to work. The steelworks is huge from one end to the other by the shortest route, eight kilometres. Right. It's Jesus. a big you know, block of property. And so um, there's all sorts of places for people to work. And so at school, I end up... I, I remember uh, there were some big floods. There was a very heavy bout of rain, and nobody had cars in those days. Uh, but somebody had an Holden FJ, and that was sort of like the luxury car, luxury. And they worked out that because it was just raining so heavily, they'd pick up all the kids on the street and then drive them to school and drive them back. Everybody walked to school in those days, except they'd drive past me because everybody else was Irish Catholic mm. and I was Wog Catholic. Mm-hmm. And even though I was Catholic-y, I, wasn't, I was still too Woggy, so they would just wave out the windows. They went past me. And that was for about two months of rain. And I said why did, to my parents, why did they pick me up? And my father said, to give you a chance to exercise. Uh-huh. <laughs> So looking after you, bit of PE. Yeah. Well, even animals exercise. Yeah. 
So you yeah. can – they've done this experiment where you get um, – this is in my 42nd, maybe maybe it's my 39th book or 38th. You, you get a, a running wheel, you know, like you get the little animals to run their exercise wheel, and you put it up not in a laboratory but in a backyard that opens onto a forest and you set up an infrared camera. Out of the dark in the night, various groups of animals will come out, run on the spinning wheel for about an hour or so, and then – go away they're not getting any food they're just doing it and they come back night after night to do it right is that weird just chase so, those endorphins well, well it's a bit of a change though from you know if if you're a a mouse in the forest and then you just sort of come across this 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 new thing like if i was a mouse i'd be hopping on it to find out what it was yeah mm. but then to run for an hour because you see the thing is that you're not guaranteed a food supply yeah so you have to chase your food and it could be that on one hand, by exercising, you're making yourself a better hunter, but on the other hand, you're burning up food, and there's not an infinite amount of food available as there is for us humans. Yeah. So it's a bit of a juggling game, a bit of a balancing act that they have to play, but they choose to go on the running wheel and get fitter. What was the question again? Steelworks. Yeah, you, um you, you found some work down there. Yeah, so my very first job was going up and down in a rowing boat. Yeah. Um, which was made of aluminium, and measuring the pH, which is the acidity or alkalinity yeah. of the river. Now, the, the little river varied between bright green and bright orange. It never got clear, never got transparent. Right. And the pH varied between about 3 and 12. You didn't put your hand in it, and it ate the aluminium boat. <laughs> it, yeah. it, every couple of months we'd have to get another aluminium boat because the, the water would eat the boat. I remember one day I was working there as a physicist testing while well, I was testing steel for the Westgate Bridge and the word came around of go out to your car, which is parked inside the steelworks, and brush off that white powder. Okay, so everybody goes out there and brushes off the white powder. And then over the next few days there are all these reports in the newspapers of the housewives in Port Kembla saying this white powder fell out of the sky and started eating their clothes on the line. And the steelworks said, no, no, we don't know anything about it. Really? Did that happen? Really? Yeah. Well, you got the heads up at work anyway. They, well, they warned us that it would eat through the car paint. Jesus. Yeah, right. <laughs> So did they yes. ever uh, get to the bottom of what that white stuff was? It didn't exist. never happened. Oh, oh right. Right, right. Nothing happened. Nothing mm. to see yeah, here. Yeah, Just yeah. go along. Yeah, no royal commissions into that particular shower no. of acid. Well, we, we, we didn't measure. There would have been some chemists that would have measured it. Yeah. Now, look, now, now tell me if I'm right about this on royal commissions, right? So the unions recently, uh, about a year ago, had a royal commission into them. Two cases of criminal behaviour were found and then there were televised raids by the federal police on their headquarters to get their documents. Yeah. Recently, a Royal Commission, half the length of time, found a third of a million cases of criminal wrongdoing by the banks. Mm -hmm. When are we going to get the televised police raids on the banks? Where do you start? It's the real question, I think. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, because they're the backbone of the economy, really, I think they should be impervious to <laughs> to some crimes, but not all crimes. You know? Like I think jaywalking, that, jaywalking. If, yeah. if they're jaywalking, the full brunt of the law will come yeah. down on them. Like, but, but robbing dead people and living people, that's different. I think that it's, it, it's totally necessary for a bank 
to break the law in order to keep the profits up because a strong bank means a very strong economy. What about dirt in the ground that we can sell overseas? Isn't that the basis of the strong economy? But it has to go through the banks, right? Oh, I can see, Sensei, that I must worship and follow your wisdom in the future. (laughs) Uh, Just a... No, uh, no, no, no dawn raids on the on the banks yet. No. Also, no raids on the um, private schools as well that came out in that other royal commission as well. Yeah, it's weird. Australia is the only country in the world. Okay, a bit of a backup. Australia has the highest percentage of private school attendance, being about thirty or so percent, yep. yeah. whereas most other countries are ten percent. Secondly, we're the only country in the whole world where government schools. Where the federal government, sorry, rephrasing that, where, where, the go, where the federal government gives more money to private schools, which are companies, yeah. than it does mm. to government schools. Yeah, yeah. And you mention this to Americans and they say, nah, couldn't yeah. possibly be that way. Mm. It's funny. I'm, I remember on one occasion, now let's just put it down on line here. It's not the kids' fault, it's not the students' fault. That their parents are wealthy. Yeah. It's not their fault. They're, they're just being carried along like a little paddle pop stick in the gutter of life on a rainy day. They've got no control over where yeah. they get sent, right? Yeah. But I do remember on one hand going out to a private school which had 17, not cricket pitches, but cricket fields. <laughs> yeah. And um, an underground rifle range. Right. And an Olympic swimming pool. And then, and they got three million dollars one year to put in a gate, because you got to have a good gate and a driveway to impress the parents. Yeah. And in I went. In case you get raids after the royal commission. Ah, but then, I, then I went to a government school not too far away, and they had received from the federal government five thousand dollars. And out of that five thousand dollars, they had to pay for an accountant to make sure they spent it wisely, and it didn't cover the cost of repairing a broken window. So they just put some plastic across it with some sticky tape. So why do you think that is? Don't know. Why? Yeah. The, the, that is a part that's hard to find out. Yeah. What is, is easier to find out. If you just stick to the numbers, you can see what is. But the motivation, yeah. that's so hard. Well, private school parents are voters and they uh, feel like they're paying for not only just their kids' fees, but and they pay, poor kids', poor yeah. kids fees. Oh, that, the, I think that's their argument. Oh, yeah. Mm. That was really good. You, you know how they did that postcode thing? So what they do is they <laughs> say at the private schools, yeah. um, and it's not their fault. The students' fault. What they say is that look, we've got students, we've got disadvantaged students, and under the rules set down by the federal government, they do have disadvantaged students. This is how the rule works. Suppose you come from a postcode that has a low income. Now, your parents might run the local Toyota dealership. Uh, and, and out in the country area, you need your four-wheel drives, whatever. Yeah. You know, one, they're, they're all yeah, yeah. good, okay? And so, therefore, your parents are fabulously wealthy. Mm. So, even though your parents are fabulously wealthy, because you come from an area, we'll say Barwarina, which mm-hmm. has got a very low income, yeah. you're officially counted under the rule as a poor and disadvantaged student. Isn't that neat? Now, well, that, I, when I saw that, that was brilliant thinking. That was brilliant planning. So, I'm sure Gina yeah. Reinhardt grew up in an area which was considered disadvantaged as well. You know, it's just, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's just rich 
people can live, there can be one rich family, I guess, in any town. Well, when the Britty, the Business Review Weekly had its nice little um, wealthy list on the top 200, yeah. uh, roughly one third of them had an income so low that they qualified for housing benefits. Really? Well, oh, yeah, paying yeah. tax is an option yeah. that many wealthy people choose not to exercise. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, that option does exist, and they choose not to exercise that option to pay tax. Well, yeah, it was like what uh, uh, old uh, Kerry Packer said. You know, he said, you know, any Australian who doesn't try to minimise their tax ought to get their head red. I like paying tax. Yeah. Um, so that some primary school student in Western Australia does better. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like paying tax so that a road gets built, a hospital gets... Oh, paying tax is the mark of a civilised society. So you're saying that you're a communist? <laughs> yes. Um, I never enrolled officially. <laughs> Other, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's two communist countries left. That'd be Vietnam and China. Is there a third one? I think, they're, sure. they're, I think they're it, aren't they? Balmain? Oh, yeah, well, he's going to hive off anyway. Well, it used Albania? to be. Albania? Albania might be. Maybe. Maybe? Okay. But you got called that enough as a kid. So yeah, we I, all I, I got called a comma. <laughs> yep. Now, where, where did you first get your stripes where you could say, I am educated in this field? You are testing the steel for the Westgate yeah. Bridge that was coming out of Wollongong. Right. So what did you need to walk into there with and say? Or did you just, you just said, I've uh, invented a machine? Um... I was employed as a – okay, uh, just a bit of backup here. I come from a time mm-hmm. when the Australian government saw education as a worthwhile investment in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a result, I've had 26 years of education mm-hmm. paid for by the taxpayer. Yeah. Starting off in baby jail, working through kindergarten, primary school, high school, university. 16 years of university education for free mm-hmm. with degrees in physics and mathematics – and in engineering, when I designed and built a machine for Fred Hollows to pick up electrical signals off the human retina, and degrees in medicine and surgery, and I've worked professionally in all, all of those fields, including as a doctor in a kids' hospital, and then um, several non-degree years of study just to round me off, because right. I felt that I was not properly educated. So I did um, years in computer science, as not enough for degrees, computer science, astrophysics, electrical engineering, and philosophy. And so with regard to working at the Steelworks, I, I had a very good, I'm going to use the phrase, mental toolbox. Yep. So a car mechanic, they've got their big wheelie drawers, multiple 13 drawers full of tools, and that's their toolbox. I've got a mental toolbox. Mm-hmm. And physics yep. gives you this great mental toolbox. So then all you have to do is apply the local knowledge and then work out how to uh, estimate the fatigue strength of a steel that's going into the soon-to-be-the-biggest box girder construction of a bridge anywhere yeah. in the world, the now Westgate Bridge. And so all I needed was a physics degree, and then you ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. And you go in there and you learn what you have to. So physics, but if anybody can ha- hack it, and not everybody can, but the longer you can stay with physics, the, the better the mental toolbox. You can jump into anything. Yeah, so that's a, that's a kind of a foundation for yeah. a lot of different arms. Yeah, but then it was mind-blowing when I did, started doing physiology. You, st- you guys studied physiology? Not yet. No. It, it, it's astonishing. Like I used to think- I might do it later to round off. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it'll take, it, it's worthwhile because I, I used to think that the human body was just full of this sort of chunky red salsa that if you got in a fight in the movies, <laughs> it would leak out and that was, it was just sort of this amorphous mush. Cleric, yeah. Yeah. What was that? Cleric, is that how you say it? Claret? 
yeah. go on. It's a type of wine. Claret. And, and the, f- oh, so you're referring to the wine version of Claret. You no, know, well, there's an, ex- there's an ex- expression that Clancy's trying to find. It's called to tap the claret is to punch a person in the nose. You're kidding. Is that yeah. an Australian expression? Mm, and I and I misquoted it. I said cleric. But yes. Did you make up that expression? No, no, Spontaneously no. Spontaneously to try no, that's what they say in the bush it. when someone's got a bit of claret. Getting a bit of claret. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to shirt front um, Clancy and get a bit of claret out of it. Yeah, imagine Putin trying to translate that one. That would be interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so for me, I knew how the universe began, yeah. right. but I didn't know how, did how the begin? kidneys work. Yeah, right. Yeah, I didn't know it was inside my body, and that was just mind-blowing. It's a whole different universe inside your body. And to teach us some humility, they threw us into the kidney. Yeah. Um, and after three months of studying the kidney, you come out they're gasping for air, thinking, I know nothing about anything. Yeah. And there are people who spend their entire lives studying the kidney, and they're sort of still, sort of, I know nothing about the kidney, there's so much to know. Yeah, right. So where do I get my knowledge from? I start off in physics. And that was just at Wollongong University? Yeah. Locally, yeah. Yeah. Um, Wollongong was nice, uh, easy to get to. I, I was there in the big fires in 69 when I saw the entire front of Mount Kira catch on fire. Wow. That was amazing. So the flames started on the left-hand side, and by the time they got across the right-hand side, it was 15 minutes later, and there was just this wall of red fire up the front, and I was living down at Taraji Beach, and then there were burnt sticks, um, the diameter of your finger and a metre or so long, being washed up on the beach weeks later. So there must have been... One hell of a upcut yeah. to pick up a stick and carrying it up and then along several kilometres and out to sea a few more kilometres before, before Washington. They reckon they saw the smoke in New Zealand. Really? Yeah, from the bush fires. Was down that an Wollongong. industrial fire? Oh, it was just the bush fires. Right. It was really, really hot that year. Wow. Now, uh, Carl, you, uh, you're talking about um, yesteryear when education was kind of respected and looked at as a... And seen as an investment. As an investment. And teachers. My father, as a primary school kid, as we walked down the street of Crown Street in Wollongong, if one of the te- most of the teachers were nuns mm. or brothers, but if there were a few lay teachers, um, and my father got me to take off my hat to them yeah. as a sign of respect to the teacher. To the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a sacred and honourable tradition, as it still is in Germany and in the Scandinavian countries. Yeah. Well, there'd be a lot of our listeners who can recall being taken to the CSIRO as, and, and probably not as uh, showing much respect, as much respect as taking the hats off, but we're told that these are the scientists and these are the people. And, you know, what they do is they go and get, uh, they go and get answers and they bring them back. Uh, they hunt down the answers, bring them back and turn them into money. Yeah. And so you've got this great example of Stephen Hawking, you know, the mm-hmm. wheelchair guy, mm-hmm. saying there's there's black holes. Mm-hmm. Um, people say, yeah. And he said, well, they probably evaporate as well if they're really tiny ones. So in 1972 in Australia, John O'Sullivan tried finding these the radio signature of these evaporating black holes if they existed, couldn't find them, had to invent special mathematics, still couldn't find them. In other words, just f- to be specific, uh, hardwired Fourier transforms on a chip. Okay, had to invent this special mathematics. Still couldn't find them. It ended up giving us Wi-Fi. A str- did you know? Did you guys know that we Australians yeah, we, invented Wi-Fi? We, we invented Wi-Fi thanks to John O'Sullivan and us. And the CSIRO got one billion dollars in royalties, and as a result, we fired one quarter of the scientists of CSIRO. Was that a change in government that did that, or just um, off the cuff? Neither. Science is not seen as something worthwhile, even though it accounts for 70 to 80% of our income. Yeah. Really? That, yeah. that was one. This is where I wanted to go with this. Is back in the day, 
scientists had that aura where they where they were money-making machines or they were just the people you'd listen to. And now, maybe because sometimes they're coming back with answers people don't want to hear, they've been politicised as experts or elites. Mm, well, ha, ha, Do you feel much of that? Do people run you down? Oh, uh, well, it's been going on for ages. So with regard to smoking, yeah. today Big ta- Tobacco is still funding the lies that uh, vaping is not bad for you, that secondhand smoke is not bad for you, and that vaping doesn't lead to smoking cigarettes. So that was similar to climate. Yeah. That was yeah, really yeah, having. Yeah. That was similar to climate change. Yeah. Well, alcohol. Yeah. Last month, across New South Wales, thousands of full colour ads. A one went out across hospitals saying, "Well, it hasn't been proven that a woman who is pregnant." and drinking alcohol can cause harm to the unborn baby. Complete lie. It has been proven. Yeah. And and that's in the year 2018 mm. that big alcohol is doing it. And so with regard to climate change, in 1973, the insurance companies, Munich Re, the world's largest reinsurance company, could see the effects of climate change, or as they call it then, the greenhouse effect, appearing in their insurance premiums. And it was just like the mafia. Mm. Nothing personal. You smoke cigarettes, it's going to kill you. You're going to have to soon. You're going to have to pay more money if you live in this zone. Climate change is going to, or, or greenhouse effect. We're going to just charge you more money. And it, the scientists had a higher burden of proof, so they didn't go ahead with saying it was co- real and caused by humans in '73. It took them till 1989, and then there was a bit of a shock for about a year or so. And then uh, the big fossil fuel companies got together and funded a very well funded disinformation campaign. Is running today, right. and so um, Andrew Bolt. I, I was reading him in a newspaper from up on the Sunshine Coast, saying, "Oh, it hasn't been proven that climate change is real anyway." You know, he's saying the equivalent of, "Look, mate, what it just means you wear one less jumper in winter. What's the big deal?" Yeah, right. Yeah, and so he's still denying that climate change is real. Well- do you think he personally believes that himself or or is that the person who is paying him to say those things? I don't know. Now, that's a really good one. Yeah. Once again, I know what he says because it's there in print. Yeah. I don't know what he's thinking. Yeah. Is he genuinely deluded or is he um, – well, actually, there's, there's another option. He could be genuinely deluded um, and really believe that climate change is not real or he could be going for the shock jock. I'm just going to yeah. say anything. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure out in your area, you've got a relative who just loves to argue. Mm, Wasn't yeah. a nice day today? No, it was shocking. Mm. Was it nice and cool this morning? No, it was too hot. No matter what you say, they yeah. just love to argue, and that might be him knowing that if he picks the right topics, he can build up his microscopic audience. Well, it seems to be doing its job because. We're talking about him now on this esteemed radio show now. So it must be doing its job because he sold nine thousand books last year. Nine thousand. Mm. Yeah. Well, anything over five thousand in Australia is a bestseller. Is it? Everything over five thousand. Yeah. Over five thousand. Well, it's a small market. Yeah, I guess so. That means we're bestsellers. How many? Oh, you mean with your beautiful flexi bound almanac, the the one that's got the orangey cover? Yeah, that's it. That's it. it. Australia. Yeah, Mm. yeah. You're having a bit of a go at jet ski owners, I see. Yeah, are you one of those? Is that the Wollongong in you? Well, my daughter desperately, Lola, she desperately wants to go for a ride in a jet ski, but actually owning a jet ski is a different thing. Yeah, it is. It's a different, and it's definitely a class status. It means you, you made the big time. It's up there with the Crown Lager, I feel. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. La di da. Oh. 
If she wants to go uh, ride a jet ski, she go down to um, the Gold Coast or Brighton the Sands, places that allow it. They've stopped, right. they've stopped it in the big bodies of water. The Brisbane River doesn't do it. Sydney Harbour doesn't do it anymore. Really? Yeah. Ah. No, I think it was... Uh, it's pretty noisy. The, the, the Premier down there at the time, uh, Bob Carr, mm. I think he was the one who said no more jet skis on the harbour. Really? But yeah. isn't that a local issue? I guess it's a grey area between local council and state council. Mm. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, he was kind of... Uh, he was the New South Wales answer to Sir Joe in many ways. In, tell me of these ways. Let me just speak. <laughs> well, well, you know, as we were, I guess we can say. Uh, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> I think a lot of the stuff to do with the Olympic Games was very shady down there at the time where they uh, got a lot of his mates to, to redevelop Homebush. You know, I just think it, it kind well, of stinks yeah. a bit, Carl. Well, following the example of Rake, you have to be able to back up what you say. <laughs> no, I don't. This it's is not. A, oh, this is shock jock, but... Oh, okay, right. Well, if it's shock... <laughs> oh, okay. is, is the appropriate and allowed response, no, I'm not a journalist, I'm an entertainer. Yeah. I actually saw Alan Jones on Q&A give a figure for the price of renewable electricity that was wrong by 19,000 times. I thought really? that was a, pretty much a record. <laughs> 19, and so 19,000 times, times wrong. Yeah, you know, that, that Can you big. recall what that was? No. no. I, I saw it at the time. I wrote it down. I followed it up. I thought, that's wrong. And I followed it up and it was 19,000 times wrong. But nobody else on the panel chased him, picked him up on it. Because I was very interested in electricity because I was one of the early adopters with yeah. solar panels. Mm. Well, how do you feel about the, the, the Tesla battery? Like, um, it's what? a step in the right direction. Yeah. So we had batteries 2,000 years ago yeah. in Baghdad, which was then part of Mesopotamia, but is now part of Iraq, uh, probably used for electroplating. And then we did a bit of stuff with Galvani in, the, in Italy in the you know, 1780s, 100s, yeah. whatever it was, I can't remember. And then we were heading down the pathway, the very first cars were electric powered and then along came fossil fuels now fossil fuels have got this incredibly high energy density if you buy a barrel of fossil fuel i think it's around 70 something dollars a moment and at the moment and you get the labor of two strong men five days a week eight hours a day for a year there's a dollar and a half for the labor of two strong men mm-hmm. and that's a bargain and so the energy density, and it's because the energy density is so high. And when we, so we sort of dropped batteries straight away. Yeah. And for a long time, one kilogram of petrol had the same energy content as 500 kilograms of lead acid battery. Yeah. And then we've moved along, and the latest real cutting edge, um, not practical, but cutting edge batteries are 10. So one kilogram of petrol has the energy of 10 of these batteries but they're not in common use but we're getting down that pathway Mm. and there is that temporary problem with the lithium batteries catching on fire but it turns out that the lithium iron nanophosphate batteries don't have free oxygen available so they can't go into a runaway burning effect so they're safe that way but the current but they're, they're the latest ones the ones that are in your phone won't have that safety feature because the cost of that safety feature is a slightly higher, a slightly lower energy density, and what they want with the phone is the maximum energy density. So, but but we are getting there with batteries. Batteries are the way to go in the future. Are one of the pathways. Now, Carl, uh, the word Tesla in itself has yeah. been kind of hijacked by the South African Canadian stoner of late. 
Uh, now, I didn't actually see. Did he actually stone on? Was yeah. it on on TV? He was stoning on I, on, on live. Video. I don't think on video. Did you actually I see think the it was more combustible of, material entering and leaving his lips, or was I, it just the soundtrack? I think it was uh, Clinton esque. I think you know he did puff, but he didn't in, in, inhale. He tried to claim that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. I think it was uh, what the kids okay. call a bum puff, where uh, we yeah. don't this is draw the second back. bit. Of language I have not heard. Okay, mm. so a bum puff is is where you uh, bring it in to your mouth and then blow it out of your mouth. Oh, so you yeah. don't run into the gas exchange area of your lungs. Yeah. No, so it's completely safe. Yeah. So, no, but what, what about the? I came across a new one the other day. Uh, babe, babe is obviously too long to say, and they've dropped the second B, and it's been that way for the last three years. Babe, babe. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. Why, why yeah. did I get the the memo? Yeah. It was probably one of the 172,000 emails. Yeah, that talks about, pro- Hi, this is the Oxford English Dictionary. By the way, if you pronounce babe with all four letters, you are so uncool. You're, Just you're, the last you're, one. you're out of date, man. You're out of date, man. Guess you go for bay. But but can you tell us a little bit about the bum puffer? Like, before he created that brand that is Tesla, Nikolai Tesla. Nik- oh, genius. Absolute genius. genius. You know, the, the way he is revered almost sounds like he had almost created something with as much energy density as fossil fuels. No. no. Uh, uh, what he did do was work out how to make a an AC battery. Right. Now, have you guys ever made a... Uh, sorry, an AC motor. Have you guys ever made a DC motor? Yeah, which is what Edison invented. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it's worthwhile doing. You, you need only three things. You need a battery... You need some metal wire and you um, need a magnet. And then you follow the YouTube video and you use common household materials providing you've got a magnet somewhere. And then half an hour later, there's this thing that is sucking invisible juice out of this battery and it's spinning. And the first time you do it, you just fill with this incredible sense of awe. And that was a huge step to do. Um, and we could have done it 2,000 years ago, and it took the genius of Edison, of, of um, who was the guy from the Royal Institution, Michael Faraday, who did it. But to go with the AC motor was another step of genius. And Tesla was rightly revered for being that genius. Mm-hmm. When you go into actually ha- what's the physics of making an AC motor, it is, it is truly deep. It's, it's not... It's not trivial. And so he did that. And he tried transmitting power. And then that turned into he could make battleships run. He, he did invent radio before Marconi. Right. He did invent radio. And he was able to use that radio to uh, turn on switches in little ships on a pond. But to transmit huge amounts of power over large distances, no. Um, so uh, mythology has built around the man that is greater than man, which is kind of sad because what he did was just genius. Mm. If, if you just try and if you've got a spare day, try and work out how an AC motor works and try and build one. And by the end of the day, you'll go, man, how do you do it? Mm. Yeah. Do you um? Do you think? Have you seen any materials and things that have, uh, like anything that's popped up over the years that you thought might be the next big thing in construction or the next big thing and it just kind of fizzles out? Like, you know, you often hear about picrete, which was a, was, was, you know, an invention Ah, that they thought they were going to make every ship out of during the war, which was just. You uh, often hear about it, don't you? So, uh, you know, sawdust frozen with water, which is actually impenetrable. Yeah. But of course it melts. Have you, have you heard of anything like that you just thought would fizzle? Fizzle out. I mean, there's obviously well, been all kinds of renewables. That- I, I never realised that the laser 
would turn into something that's at every checkout. Yeah, right. Yeah. I had no idea of that. So what I was had your first no experience? Of the laser? With the laser. Well, um, we were trying to make coherent light. So this is a guy, Neil Montgomery and myself. He was the brains. I was just the assistant. And we were trying to do a 3D image back yeah. in the day, in the mid-1960s, when these 3D images were just coming through on holograms. And right. so we managed to get a hologram from somewhere, but there was no laser. So how are we going to get coherent light? Uh, and Neil was brilliant. He said, well, obviously what you do is you go and get a couple of uh, D batteries. You strip them out and you get this carbon rod. You then get the two carbon rods and put them near each other and then run 240 volt AC into them. Oh, my God. That's all right, he said. Just wear the rubber gloves. And then uh, you got you got a current limited, so you just get a couple of heaters and you run them in series with it. And then you strike an arc and you get this incredibly bright light and then out if you pick a tiny, tiny bit, like you get a little pinhole, all of that light is coherent, and you shine it through a hologram we got from America, um, and then you're able to see this faint image. And we didn't realise it until the end of the demonstration day, but in the same room were the geologists. And what they had done was set up some rocks in a dark case and then shone ultraviolet light on it, so it glowed in the dark. And people would come up and look at it and say, that 3D rock looks so real. So the stuff that we had, it didn't work, look very good, so they just thought it was crap. And, <laughs> but the, the 3D rocks, they thought that was the real 3D. <laughs> so they thought that reality was better than uh, the laser in those days, and it was back then. So that was my first run across a laser. And now there's kids that are using them to try to bring down aeroplanes and helicopters. Well, not necessarily <laughs> bring down, but to cause blindness. So well, I've got one of these lasers, and I have a police permit, which cost me $253 for five years. I don't know where they got this number of 253 it, and yeah, so, But isn't that like the end result of tr trying to blind a pilot is, you know, is, is just on the road to trying to bring an aeroplane down? Um, yes and no. Uh, I don't think they're that malevolent. They want to kill a whole bunch of people. Yeah. It's up there with so, it's up there with kids oh, putting pins and strawberries. Yeah, but, but it might but, be. You, I think you're right, and I think I'm wrong. I think you're right that they want to see something exciting, and then suddenly, yeah. when both pilots are blinded and and, and six hundred yeah. people die, they think, "Oh my god, what have I done?" Exactly. And they it's don't like, realise the consequences yeah. of their action because it's like the needles running. and the I strawberries. Think, yeah. Look, if, yeah. If, if if what was the story with them? Was it real? Yeah. Do we ever find out? It was just kids. The same shit. Do, do we find out who it was? No. Just but how do you know it was kids? Just copycats. But how do you know if we haven't found them? I don't know. Are you making an assumption? Now, look, Clancy, what did, they teach, what, what, did that, what did your primary school teacher teach you? Ass out of you and me. That's right. Assume makes an ass out of you and me. I want everybody to remember that. Don't assume nothing. So with the ordinary weak laser, yeah. less than one milliwatt, it shines in your eye, you blink, yeah. and no damage is caused. But with the brighter lasers, five milliwatts and up, which shines in your eye, and before you can blink, you have got a blind spot in your vision. You're not totally blind. Yeah. There's only a blind spot, a tiny, tiny spot in your vision. To make you totally blind, you'd have to run your eye backwards and forwards across yeah. a laser beam uh, over a period of a minute or two. So with regard to, you know the story about looking glass? Yeah. 
By yes, you mean no, but go ahead. Is that what you mean? I'm exactly. Right, okay. So Looking Glass is a series of planes that are always <laughs> flying yeah. for the United States military. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they've ramped them down, but at their peak they had three of them flying, one in each uh, third of the earth, and they were ready to be a flying control centre to take over the destruction of the other nuclear countries in case of an all-out nuclear attack on America. Yeah, and so the pilots always used to fly their eight-hour shift, and and w- there'd always be three of them in the air, and one of the three would not come down until another one had come on station beside it. Yeah, right. So right. there's always three in the air. There was never two. There's always three, mm-hmm. and the pilots always wore a patch on one eye. And the reason for that was that if they're flying around, and then a nuclear weapon just comes flying down at very high speed at five kilometres a second, then explodes in front of them. If they don't have the patch, they're blind in both eyes, yeah. and they can't fly the plane. So they'd have a patch on one eye, and then in the worst case, a nuclear weapon would explode in front of them. They'd be blind in one eye, take Second off the turn. patch, and then keep on flying with the other eye. Well, yeah. take over destroying the world with the nuclear go codes. The Cold War was was <laughs> was much more intense than young people realise, don't they? We nearly got wiped out a couple times, three yeah, times. Yeah, and by wiped out, I mean we'd be living in a world where the overwhelming majority of people would not have electricity or vaccines or the infrastructure that we have today with regard to roads. Yeah. So um, we had 60,000 nuclear weapons, more than one per major city, um, and they were aimed all around the world to get the major protagonists, the United States and the Soviet Union, plus all of their allies. And on one occasion, in fact, we've just had the 35th anniversary Mm -hmm. of the Russian guy who saw on his radar that had been upgraded five nuclear weapons coming over the horizon just after the Russians, the Soviets, had shot down KL-007 or 001, a jumbo full of humans. Over the Kamchatka Peninsula. Somewhere around the Korean area. And it was just after that. And he saw these uh, on on, on his screen, these nuclear weapons coming over, and it turned out to be a mistake. And he took the authority of saying no. If he'd said yes... That would have set off all of the Russian nuclear weapons, all the Soviet nuclear weapons, all 30,000 of them against America, and would have had this terrible interchange. And most of the world would not have electricity. Do you think, like everyone always talks about, particularly in the current, you know, uh, climate when you've got the, um, you know, political and 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 the state of the world, everyone seems to think that we're we're on a knife's edge, and it is one of those things. The axis has been tilted, and there's Brexit, the, and there's the, Trump. The axis of the earth has been tilted. You're dead right by global global warming. I read yeah. about that in one of my books. Oh right, right. Well, yeah, and you know, not much metaphorically, and 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 uh, literally, literally, literally. Do you feel going, like it has been as tense? Metaphorically, metaphorically is what I was saying. Metaphorically, that the axis. Metaphorically, has been tilted. I died. No, literally, yeah. it's been tilted. <laughs> metaphorically, I died. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard, I've actually heard somebody say. I literally died. Yeah, you work at Triple J at times. That's the that's the kind of music yeah. lingo, right? The the yeah, um, no, and and on the streets, man. I've heard on the streets. On the streets. Yeah. Oh, you're, you know, university as well. Yeah, the students there. They say that. But do do you think it was more tense back then than you know everyone talking about you know terrorism and attacks and and everyone feels like we're you know imminent war um, at times and how tense it is with the you know maybe well, unstable dictators around the world. When you say tense mm. in Australia. More people are killed by ladder accidents 
than by terrorists. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Where are the ladder police? Mm. I'm, I want you guys to mount a campaign for the ladder police to keep the death rate down and keep Australians safe from killer ladders. And I think you've been actually, I'm sorry to say this to your face, but I think you've been a bit gutless in <laughs> picking up the <laughs> big come issue. Come out and condemn <laughs> yeah, these leaders, come, come these out, ladder leaders. These, these killer ladders and the lack of ladder police. Mm. We need more ladder surveillance. We have to give up our privacy, but I think that's a fair call. Well, I suppose it's a bit better than ending up in a nursing home then, I guess. Whoa. <laughs> Funny, the timing of the Royal Commission to that just before yeah. ABC and Fairfax were going to come out with an article about it. I think the big, I think the big ladder was trying to hush that story. Oh, oh so big ladder is, is, is behind the background. Yeah. yeah. So it's not just big tobacco, big alcohol, and big climate change. It's big ladder. Big ladder. Big age care. No wonder you guys are the peak of Australian journalism. <laughs> now, I'm looking at your Walkley Award. I can just see there the expose on big ladder. Do um, we're gonna we're gonna finish up now. Can you tell us what the immediate effects of climate change we'll see in the next five, ten years are? Oh, okay. There's more energy in the system. Yep. The amount yep. of energy being trapped by carbon dioxide each day is the heat energy that would be put out by 400,000 nuclear weapons, not per year, but per day. You can get away with that for one day or yeah. a week or a month, but not for decades. Mm -hmm. And so there's more energy in the system, and the result of that is that, firstly, the overall average temperature is rising worldwide, but because there's more energy in the system, the extremes, the swings be greater. So we're seeing, as what is predicted, that there are five times as many swings to higher temperatures as there are to lower temperatures. You expect, because the system is more robust, what we're going to see, well, what, what I don't want to see is the ice melting in the Arctic and going to zero. We have lost 80% of the volume of the ice in the Arctic since 1979. When it goes to zero, suddenly 2% of the world will be of the world's surface will be instead of being white reflective ice reflecting the heat will be war will be black water absorbing the heat and that will have double the effect of all the global warming till now that's called a positive feedback loop what i really hope we use we don't have positive feedback loops now here's a message of hope message number one um each generation since 1932 has been smarter than the generation before it by nine iq points this is called the Flynn Effect. Read it on my ABC homepage for free or in my books. doesn't matter. <laughs> Secondly, we are living in the most peaceful time ever in the history of the human race. Read the books The Better Angel of Our Nature by Stephen Pinker or Factfulness by Hans Rosling, R-O-S-L-I-N-G. Thirdly, there, it is possible for us to go zero carbon with regard to electricity within 10 years if we decide to, if we follow the example of the Americans which they carried out on the 7th of December 1941 when they got bombed. If they went apeshit, if, we, if the world said we are going to stop it, yeah, uh, we could go totally global, uh, carbon-free electricity in 10 years, transport 15 years, agriculture and livestock, which is about 25% of our carbon dioxide, would take a little bit longer because it's alive mm -hmm. and the DNA will try to fight us of the plants <laughs> and the livestock, but we, we can win that. And then already in Switzerland they're building machines that if we had 25 million of them, could pull back out of the atmosphere an entire human race contribution of carbon dioxide per year. 25 million machines you think is a big number, but we make and sell 
80 million units for the car industry. Yeah. How, but, but we could do it. And where we were going to put the, the carbon that we, 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 we got it from? Uh, the size of a container on the back of a semi-trailer. Right. But, okay, so America goes to war. Within nine months, the number of cars being made for the domestic market in America after Pearl Harbor is zero. Yeah. And they're pumping out planes like the B-2, no, the B-17. The B-17, huge plane, crew of 10, weighing yeah. 30 tonne, can fly to Perth, very fast, big payload, and they were pumping these machines out of their ex-car factories, not at the rate of one a month, one an hour. We can do it. We just have to decide. So I failed in my run for politics. Yeah. And so I'm saying that if you feel you want to run for politics, run for it or support somebody who can. Yeah. It's a very dirty game. They, when I ran for politics, I was astonished at the interviews that I was supposedly had where I'd said things and it was just all lies. 2007, that was? 2007. People lied. I was, I was astonished. And What about, uh, what about <clears throat> you running as an independent in the seat of Warringah? Um, that's local. Against Tony Abbott. Need five million. You need five million or just a really hot Facebook page? Need Twitter account. Need five million dollars and you need the lead up time. And Are you in that electorate? No, I'm a bra boy, mate. Right. Don't mess with me. Else I'll show you my 2035 tattoo and then you'll be in trouble. I don't want to show it to anybody. I've read that there's an independent uh, in, in Sydney who's about to take the seat of uh, Malcolm Turnbull from the Liberal Party apparently. Well, that'll depend on the votes on the day and what is said in the various newspapers. Or what isn't said. And what isn't said. Yeah. And I do believe that the Murdoch press gets 70% of the newsprint eyes in Australia. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, the millennials, uh, 70% of them get their news not from radio, TV, newspapers, from the sidebar on Facebook. And I'll just stop right there. Okay. <clears throat> and on that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I am optimistic about the future, that we can make things better with regard to global warming. We just have to make the decision. Well, thank you for joining us. What a night to end on. Dr. Clancy and Dr. Errol, thank you for allowing me to appear on this peak of journalism. I'm, I'm expecting a, Wakely, a Walkley Award for this. <laughs> yeah, I, I reckon podcast. we might be on We might be on there. Yeah, Dr. Carl Sven, Wojtek Sass, Konkokovic, Matthew Crucial Nitsky. Yeah, yeah. Wheelbarrow. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. And that was Dr. Carl. He's come a long way from digging holes in Dapdo, we have to say. Uh, what an amazing mind, Errol. He is, mate. He's uh, probably as good as it gets in this country in terms of uh, general knowledge. He is really the benchmark. I mean, there was a lot of times... Uh, in that chat we just had with him where I was just trying to steer the conversation somewhere, but I thought I'd just let him run because he's, uh, yeah, he's he's uh, just a beautiful mind. Yeah, I found myself tuning out at times with big words. Uh, similar to, I guess, our elected officials. Uh, Dr. Carl might be a brain, but he's no match for the uh, genius that is uh, Mr. Frydenberg. His, his intellect pales in comparison to that of the deputy prime ministers, I'm sure, and I'm sure... Mr. McCormack wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah, you can't. You can't really disagree with that. I wouldn't say I'm smarter than the man. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. My name's Clancy Overall. You be kind to each other. And my name is Errol Parker. Stay out of the pokies, whatever you do, and never, ever, ever talk to the police unless you have legal counsel present. 